This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian and inactivist Dennis Miller, his guy Friday Christian Blatt, and superstar producer Lindsay Floyd. And now, it's him, Dennis Miller. Hey, folks. Welcome to the uh, Dennis Miller Option. And boy, imagine the, the royal family. And I take that stuff with a grain of uh, salt. But imagine the day they ran into this chick. <laughs> I always thought Harry seemed like the menchiest of cats. You know, one of those guys who would come in on a drip line in the Falcons conflagration or something, or whatever those repel in. Denny, it came through. Wow. <laughs> Speaking of oh. menchy cats. <laughs> I was just I, I talking still... about him. He is so pwipped, and that is the uh, aphorism. Harry, Prince Harry now is so pwipped by this. This woman, all he does all day, he's going to have to get the Tommy John surgery from virtue signaling so much. He's going to wear out a joint somewhere along the way. Yeah, uh, that's what it looks like from afar. I wonder if under the hood it's something What the fuck happened to you? Than... Did they get to you too? Did you go to sleep and the pot snatchers took over? You're spo- I'm teeing up brain. there. I'm thinking Carvey will be all in on this. Well, you don't really know what's inside their bedroom. Ta- no, of course I don't, Carvey. What happened? Hey, man, I'm, this is me 2020. I hedge, <laughs> obfuscate. I'm not even really here. I don't want to have an opinion about it. You think I uh, trust the royal family? You don't think they have a long <laughs> reach across the pond? You gotta watch but, yourself. You're right, Carver. Gotta, don't have an opinion about anything, you know. You've come to the right show, Dana, if you want to not have an opinion about anything. Yeah, I'm I'm Carver. treading water over here too, Carvey. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm marking time until I have enough uh Gitas to get out. I need fuck you money, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> I love the smell of COVID in the morning. <laughs> I don't like people pandemic when they get... go away, go away, pandemic. <laughs> I don't need you in my life. I don't want to wear a mask no more, pandemic. <laughs> Carb, you know what I've noticed is some people, I don't like it when people try to get too smooth with the the plague from the stand uh which is what it's posited as and then the next thing it's like when people talk about making a movie and they always shorten it i don't like it when people just go to the card like well obviously there's a COVID thing and they throw COVID in like it's uh, their charles anzavar or something <laughs> and uh you know you just you just want to say these are the same people who like to let you know that they've met robert de niro along the way by calling him bobby you know so now they're getting all smooth with COVID. And, bobby uh, yeah yeah. <laughs> well, look, uh, everything's affected. It ain't ending. We're going. We're going long, long on this one, man. It's gonna be cool. I saw. I, I saw a picture today of the baseball season opening. I showed my wife, and I thought, my God, what, 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 what has been wrought in this country right now is the this is a baseball game? We're talking about playing. You know, it's, it's the old play ball. I got it's a, a game. bunch of. Guys are all kneeling down, holding some common black shroud that connects them, and they've all got masks on. I thought, anybody remember when, I, you know, it was just the umps would come out, rub the ball, play ball. Listen, I, everybody's got their cause. I understand. And, and uh, almost 
you know, every cause is valid to the person doing it, but not every cause is the end of the world as we know it. And geez, we're turning our things that we usually went to for escapism now into the belly of the beast. Did somebody just fart? No, I moved a glass that made a sound on the table. Holy cow, Carvey. I shied me about doing Meghan Markle jokes. This, He's farting. I thought, what happened? He turned into Michael Moore. <laughs> I don't know which reference to respond to. I got a list. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Let me shut up for a while. How are you? Dennis, I want you and I, this is a, this is, you know, they have these challenges and you got to do pictures and stuff. Our challenge is bathing suits in Malibu, in the sand. And then we run home and we check and see if we're trending on daily mail. Because <laughs> I wonder, you know, these women are out there, you know, and it's been scamp and let's uh, say debuting her pert uh, derriere. And I wonder if they run back home and are just like, look, I got 19 pitches on Daily Mail. Anyway, here's my observation of the day. And it's it's not even funny, but I just it hit me the other day because I watched these bikini people and men on <laughs> Isn't it kind of sad? Like you go to the beach, you're in the water, you're splashing the picnic, the blanket. Is it a moment that's a little melancholy when you start to gather things up to leave the beach? That moment. I go, that's kind of a sad moment. I don't know why leaving a picnic's okay, but something about rolling the towel up and you you did it, and now it's over. Anyway. Oh, that's, you know, Carve, it's so funny because in the background right now, I keep uh, the TV on when I'm on the air doing anything. And I just to glance over at the stock prices are right now. Turner Classic Movies is having Bridget Bardot well, day and they have mm. the, the magnum opus in God Created Woman where she's the center of the libidinal universe. And mm -hmm. as you were saying that they just had her laying on the beach in like a see through <laughs> God's top, the breakwater coming up and wetting it so you could see through to her figure. I was thinking this is the difference now as you mentioned that is the world used to come to you to see that and they would <laughs> sign up in droves now you've got to go out and pitch it you've, you've got to schlep uh, you become your yeah. own press agent you've got to take the pictures and then force them out to the people whereas Bardot just sat there in the middle and that sort of indifference <clears throat> to the, uh, the 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 lust for her is the thing that made her lustful right well, now, because it's most of social media is just visual, um, obviously, the top 25 Instagram people are, uh, you know, f women, fitness professionals or whatever. I always find interesting the dynamic of a, a famous parent with a daughter and a son and the daughter's very pretty. So they she gets a modeling contract at 15. She's making maybe two million a year as a junior in high school. The, the boy is. Uh, you know, he's at Trader Joe's twice a week bagging groceries, and the parents are proud of both, both our children. Mm -hmm. Sorry. <laughs> but it, you know, it's just something, there's there's way more models out there now. Yeah. You know, there's so many more well, platforms. If you're, you can, it's a fortune. That's why I want us in bathing suits. I've been working at <laughs> Let's You're do a body fat test first. We get submerged in a tank at UCLA, <laughs> and we get our Listen, body when fat. they go to when they go to do that body fat test on my midsection, they'll have to chuck the medical calipers and use salad tongs. All right, because I am uh, <laughs> I, I'm like know? Adam West in yeah. season two. 
Okay, slow down. When did your brain know <laughs> that you were going towards salad tongs? Because I know that that hit your brain first, and then you worked your way toward it. That's that's. You said body <laughs> fat. Salad. Here's here's the breakdown on that. You said we have the body fat, and I right. immediately thought of calipers. Those those funny and then things you went that they like salad tongs. Yeah, and I I started the joke. <laughs> Not knowing what the payoff was, yeah. but I remember thinking, what is the Sardis caricature of a caliper? And naturally, I got to uh, salad tongues, and pretty quickly. I, there are times I get all the way down the wormhole, and it's like a second away from having to pay it off, and you usually <laughs> can find it out of fear and adrenaline. But this one was easy. It was sitting right there. I, I had it loaded up and began to think of ways to phrase it. And all this happened in point oh four of a second. Then I got one trick. That's my mother's trick. Huh? Deep He's drawer, trying. nice retrieval oh, system. Yeah, I got one trick. I mean, you, you, most people have one trick. They repeat it. If you're lucky, you got a half trick. On the <laughs> you know me well, my friend. You know me well. You're I always, always thought, right. what, what can I come into the Pharisee's tent with and pitch to get green rectangles to procure for my progeny's head hole? I kept showbiz on a basic it, level. Yeah. It's all about securing rectangular greenbacks. That's what you yeah. told me in 1998, and you were right. It, you're and, a good uh, attitude to inhabit. You know, for me, being a passive-aggressive people pleaser, I like being a guy who's just kind of like disappointed by life. Meter maids, okay? We need more <laughs> meter maids. Right? And I'm going to check it because I'm trying to pick up a cup of gel. Huh? I was in the bus zone. Now I'm paying uh, double on my yeah. taxes. Okay. Christ, me, <laughs> meter maids used to be laying on a crying couch in Camelot with one of those traffic cone hats on with a scarf coming <laughs> off the end of it. Now they're fucking five foot one, dressed up like Robert Blake in Electric Eye and Blue, walking around Rodeo Drive trying to feed the masses through my fucking thing being overlapped, my front tire on one angstrom of a yellow space. Angstrom. It's 2020. What about a dude being a meter mate? How's that? You all right? You're, you're right. Mate. You're right. I take it back. I take it back. Okay. I like, you want to write me a ticket, man? Okay, I love that golf cart you're driving. What, that 4CC <laughs> under the hood? Boy, let's go to the big, big table, all right? See, that, you can see the trick, Carvey, because you're you're brilliant in that I, I always said, and we'll talk about Regis in a second, it, you have this thing like Marty Short where you, when you find the key to the Stargate and get inside the thing, it's almost like as brilliant an improver as you are as Dana Carvey. When you get in that thing, you almost become equally, if not more brilliant in that guy's. If you're in there in something, and I use the term loosely with me, but I've seen you inhabit so many characters, you, you really do find a way to ad lib through their how they think, right? Well, definitely. With you, my vocabulary goes up. I'm pulling words out I haven't thought of, you know, but I was trying to think what would be a small engine. I said four cc's. You would have had some other way a more ornate way to denote golf cart i had golf cart and four cc's beautiful so i got the untouchables pulling up in a fucking toro you know riding mower thank you life. very much you know you're getting ahead in life when your professional vehicle has three wheels okay <laughs> 
Jesus oh, wants a hoverboard over here. Come on. You're a freaking genius, David Garvey. Hey, listen, you know what? I spend a lot of time watching classic movies, and I said I can't wait to talk to Dana. I'm trying to think. As I watched Shawshank the other night, I was, and I, I also watched Out of Africa two weeks ago. I thought, how many times has Garvey watched Out of Africa during the quarantine? Because you know that better than the, uh, the, mm -hmm. the man who wrote the damn thing, I think. Yeah, well, I'm probably at least up around 70 viewings, I would say. All of them with my wife, Paula. So, yeah, we became possessed by it. You know, we yeah, pay our story. Ludke is his name. Uh, mm. if I, if I'm, I, I think his name's Kurt Ludke, and he went on to write Absence of Malice with... Uh, Paul Newman. Uh, Paul Newman and Sally Field. But, um, mm -hmm. I, you know, it's a perfect movie, Car. I mean, it is a perfect movie. And when I used to do run-on stories, you know, when you're filling three hours of radio a day, I would always do run-on stories because any thread you pull on, if you find it to be supple, you should go with it because you got to fill so much time. So mm -hmm. I would start to run on on something. And I told Christian to, we edited out that part, uh, Wu-Tang lived in a house on the blue, you know, that she starts to tell the story. By a blue and lantern. <laughs> I gave Christian the green yeah. light that when my story was going too far, he would just overdub that on the story. <laughs> and as I was watching it, she's so perfect when she does that, and they're so enamored of her immediately. It's a perfect mm -hmm. film, huh? And the music, yeah. Well, can you sew? And, and you're, when you travel in your mind, you always travel with so many things. Yes, but <laughs> don't you like my Limoges? Yes, and your Limoges. We pay our storytellers here. I'm sorry, but I cannot receive your gift. <laughs> Write them down. <laughs> you know, this is a true story. I'm not a Hollywood guy. I'm not a Hollywood guy, but I was having dinner with Ellen Barkin and some people uh, in the 90s or something. And Ellen said that Meryl Streep told her that Redford was the only person she'd ever worked with. She didn't feel she could hold the frame or that he could frame a doorway and just blow her off the screen. Cause that was Redford, uh, you know, his secret, secret rhythms and stuff. I think he's yeah. incredibly underrated. Well, she, uh, she hadn't worked with Ed Westwick at that point. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to, I'll, I'll any, see your Any Ed of the minor players from the Hills. <laughs> she had not been, uh, I, I think she eventually did a doll's house with, uh, Jeez. Some of yeah. I mean, Larry Storch was the other one that she <laughs> thought would give her a run. <laughs> that F troop that caps on backwards. That's that denotes a dunce back in those uh, days. Where's Forrest Tucker when you need him on? Uh, let me, let me do a, a Hakawi chant. It is balloon. That's what they always would scream. <laughs> Hakawi. How did you remember that one? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Great it's, it's my monkey trick. You know, with our ever-changing routines, there's never been a better time to learn something new. But with thousands of options available, finding the best way to learn can be challenging. How do you, how do you pick amongst the glut? Well, my recommendation is an app called Blinkist that simplifies it all. Blinkist is unique and powerful. It works on your phone your tablet, your web browser. Blinkist gives you, get this, the best key takeaways, the kernel in the middle of it, the need-to-know info from over 3,000 nonfiction bestsellers in over 27 categories. 
Blinkist condenses them down into blinks, which you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. And uh, future Warhol said we'd all be famous for 15 minutes. Get Blinkist. You'll be famous for being informed. And now Blinkist offers its members even more, including exclusive original podcasts from top authors and creative thinkers. You still get access to the entire Blinkist library with your membership, and now you can also dive deeper into full-length non-fiction audiobooks at a special discounted price. Over 14 million people are using Blinkist to deepen their knowledge in topics spanning self-improvement, personal growth, management, leadership, mindfulness, happiness, and many many more i like blinkist because i uh well i'll be honest i in many ways i'm a little lazy in life but i'm voracious about reading and i can't read it all i just look at it and i'd like to but i find it daunting so i gotta pick and choose and then there are books that i need to get my blinks from i can go on an hour hike and get two books and digest them for 15 minutes on the back end of the 15 it takes do two of those and then come home and let them distill down through the rest of the day. Blinkist works perfectly for me. Now, what have I read lately? What do I recommend to you? Good book by a man named David Cameron, For the Record. And uh, yes, that Dave Cameron. And uh, I think you'll dig it. I, I don't know enough about them over there, but I uh, gave this a tumble and found it really informative. And like I said, I don't know that I would have spent all the time on that book but uh, I could spend the 15 and get my Blinkist chops. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash Dennis to start your free seven-day trial and, and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks, and they're yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash Dennis to get 25% off a premium membership and a seven-day free trial. Once again, Blinkist.com slash Dennis. So you know what the, the best line is in Out of Africa, though, Carve, I have to think, is when the guy who's brilliant, who plays her husband, and I'm blanking on his name because oh, I always yeah. overlap it with Klaus Marie Brando. It's not him, but yeah. I, or maybe it is. Uh, yeah, maybe no, that's no. Klaus Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. But anyway, when she comes up to, she follows him out under the veldt during the war and she's so beat up <laughs> and he looks up and he goes, uh, God, you've done something with your hair. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely done, uh, love yeah. that moment. Yeah, um, we, we're there at the table. She she arrives and they're having dinner at the at the place and they have that argument where you know he goes he goes I, I didn't come to Africa to babysit a bunch of silly cows. We're going to grow coffee. They've never tried it this high, so I'm doing hot stuff. Fetch some wine for my lover's brother because she was having sex with his twin. Yeah. And then he grabs her by the face. Be very careful, Tony. And she grabs him back. Ah, breathtaking. Yeah, that's just a great. What What else is in your prime rotation? I, by the way, I watched Shawshank again the other night. Andy and the uh, Jesus, everybody hits the ball. Even that kid Gil Be Bellows, who comes in as the rockabilly guy, who ends up getting off by the sadist, uh, and it break, finally breaks Tim Robbins. But Jesus, yeah, I think what, in that movie. It's so brilliant. I mean, I think what great movies do when they 
just lock you in like that is they're they're pulling the string so tight for so long uh going through the story of the tim robbins character that when he comes out of the sewer and is up in the rain with his hands up in the music it's like wow and then the double whammy is when morgan freeman gets out and he's going to hang himself and then you know great movies have lines that just stick with you get on with the living or get on with the dying you know Mm -hmm. that's just brilliant and then he ends up on the you thought they're really gonna go that hard where he's walking on the beach and there's the boat after what they went through yeah so it's just chilling i mean i saw it alone at because i like matinees where they're empty i'm pre-covid social distancing um essentially alone in the cinerama dome and i watched it and then i went out into my car and then i started sobbing that's how much it affected me yeah that is a beautiful film and you know carve i had uh I had Tim Robbins, you like this once on my HBO show, mm-hmm. and uh, it was live, and you could swear. So uh, Robbins comes out, and I go, what have you been up to? He's I just got back from uh, a month on the road trying to get Bill Clinton uh, reelected. And I said, so that's twice in your life you've climbed through 500 yards of a shit-filled pipe. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> have that one loaded i got no i didn't but i gotta give him credit he laughed (laughs) he let me off the hook it was a bit of a heavy-handed play but at that point i was in the making fun of bill clinton business and he did laugh so i have to give luke lelouch credit Uh, for that um what what else is in your prime rotation besides possibly shawshank and i know for sure out of africa give me a few others well, the one that, that emerged this year for, for me and my wife, for what, for whatever reason, was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That is our newest mm-hmm. um, newest one, but one that developed four or five years ago, which I we we started watching musicals. You know, OK, I didn't, was not a super fan, but was, we watched My Fair Lady, this and that. Mm-hmm. And then we watched Sound of Music. And I just thought that the arc, the romantic arc, between Julie Andrews and uh, <laughs> the Lee man, sorry, um, is so beautifully Plummer, done. Christopher Plummer, I think it is. The Christopher Plummer. So I thought that movie is kind of brilliant, too. It, I would like horrible. to do a mashup of Julie Andrews teaching the kids to sing Doe a Deer with Amanda Plummer on the countertop in Pulp Fiction. There's a mashup. <laughs> Here's a quiz for you. <laughs> When did you first realize later on when you you grew up, like when you watch Bewitched and you're 10 and you're seeing Elizabeth McGovern, and then later on you realize, wow, she was like really attractive and very So sexy. hot. So but you hot. don't, I don't know if you quite get it at 9 or 10. But oh, you go I did. Older, you know. <laughs> no, no, I did. And it's Elizabeth, uh, not McGovern, she's Downton Abbey, Elizabeth Montgomery. Super mm-hmm. hot. I think it's George Montgomery's daughter, by the way, the great actor. And there's old photos of her doing some sort of yard front uh, exercise regimen in a dark Dan skin. I guess they were called way back when, where she's unbelievably beautiful. Cut to me one night at Mr. Chow's. Her and Robert <laughs> Foxworth come up to my table as they're wow. leaving. And he's on Falcon Crest, and they said, Dennis, we're getting married tomorrow, and we were wondering if you'd take out a, you know, one of those quick become a preacher things and marry us. And I thought, <laughs> my, my God, what? How, how weird that I'm, I've gone from, uh, you know, even before I knew what lust was, lusting for 
uh, Samantha Stevens. Was that her name? Tabitha Stevens? Samantha. Tabitha, Tabitha or something. Kid. Yeah. And, and now yeah. she's walked up to me and Mr. Childs in Hollywood and asked me to marry her. I said I couldn't. I said, I'm just, I'm, I said you seem too beautiful a couple for me to get involved in that weird uh, loop in your memory where you got somebody you didn't know. I said, you should find somebody who makes a dent on you. But I, I wish you both. Wow. I didn't do it. But the Robert Fox worth reminds me of a great story. I think I might have told you this was one of my favorite Hollywood stories. He was on Falcon Crest with that Anna Alicia. Mm-hmm. Girl. You remember? Yeah. So you remember the cops used to do that thing at the Shrine Auditorium in L.A. where if you came down and performed for the cops, there's like 6,000 cops and their family and friends, they mm-hmm. would give you one of those friend of the police cards that would get you out of tickets. I went down just to perform wow. for the cops, and I have to give myself karmic credit i didn't take the thing because i said listen if i get a ticket i deserve a ticket so i just wanted to do this because i'm a believer in the cops so Mm -hmm. the host is uh jackie i think it's fat jack leonard or jackie vernon they blur together in my head it's one of those wash belt things yeah yeah jackie leonard i remember him Uh, so he comes out and he introduces uh all the now, a lot of people are there to get the, the coupon, but they don't have an appreciable stage skill, Anna Alicia being one of them. She's on a nighttime soap. I'm mm-hmm. sure she was big at the moment, but she doesn't really have any da- singing, dancing, touring. So mm-hmm. they write a clumsy bit for her about weird blue laws in America because it's cops. And she comes on. She says, do you know that you can't ride a horse with a buggy down the streets of Omaha on Sunday between 3 and and she botches it. It's on <laughs> she completely screws it up. She comes off stage. Uh, she's in tears backstage. It's so awkward. Uh, just 6,000 people completely silent. She walks off. Jackie uh, Leonard comes on and he says, uh, Thank you, Anna. Well, you guys are cops. You're good with clues. What was that? Comedy? it was so the timing was so beautiful and carve right up until that millisecond when he went out and pissed on the whole thing like that he had been sitting with with me backstage doing that pat cooper riff about how he got fucked you know and he can't oh lola falan is a star and he's you know all that stuff and then he said excuse me dennis he walks out eviscerates her and brings the next act on it was beautiful stuff that's why I never wanted to become bitter in show business because of uh, working with Mickey Rooney and James Ferentino, two of the most bitter humans that ever existed. You, not in literature, film, anywhere have you seen that level of bitterness. <laughs> so I thought, man, this whole show business thing is designed for you at some point to go, oh, I didn't get what I deserved. They fucked me, you know? So That's just, a really insightful take. And Carve, you're talking about the bookends on success there. Listen, Jimmy Valentino yeah. was a, 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 a. I just saw him in Final Countdown, where he comes on the deck with uh, Kirk it's, Douglas it, yeah. when they go through the vortex. So he had a nice <laughs> career, he had a taste. But Mickey mm-hmm. Rooney was the biggest star in the world, and the and they world. both were suffering the same lament, right? Yes. Yeah. Just just bitter. Yeah. It was just Scarface with with Jimmy. He was he was a nice guy, but he. Uh... <laughs> He would yell down at the crew. He had giant styrofoam cups full of vodka in the in the pretend chopper. <laughs> he would take the script out and just slam it on the instrument panel. And he had somebody off to the side. He'd come back and there'd be powder around him. It was yeah. it was crazy. Nothing crazy. makes me laugh harder than you in a fucking balsa wood helicopter out in North Bank Hollywood. Yeah, being shaken back and forth mm-hmm. while you're the weapons op in the back of the Blue Thunder chopper. Yes. Nothing makes me laugh harder. I had I literally had lines in the script. He says, 
Jam, jam him, Jaffo. Just another frustrated <laughs> observer. Is the, is jam him, Jaffo. And I, they go, action. I go, I am jamming. I am jamming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get fired. you a T-shirt for Christmas that says jam him, Jaffo. That is jam brilliant. Jam But I had told <laughs> me that I wanted out of the show, even though at the time it was a fortune to me. I was just married. But I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm jamming. I'm jamming. You know, over and over again. And but then, Carb, you must have been in for tens of thousands a week at that point, right? I, I won't well, dial in too quickly, but I, it wasn't comedy club money. You must have been making a no, nice check. Seventy five hundred. Oh, okay. But get me out of here. And then they got me all dressed up in the get up with the helmet on and everything. The crew's there. They put me up in the fake helicopter. They jumped us all around. And then Jimmy goes, say goodbye, Jaffo. I what? And then the producers were at the bottom of the ladder. This was like, what was the Brandon, that TV show? That really goes back where I had to go down the ladder and then I was walked off the set uh, in in the costume. <laughs> oh, my God. I, Branded, I, marked with a coward's name. Oh, I know it. What do you do when you're branded? And you fight for your name wherever you go for the rest of your life. You must prove that you are Jaffo. Branded. Branded. He then he later on what he did the rifleman, right? Chuck Connors. That was before. I think Branded came after Rifleman. Maybe I'm wrong. I used to do Chuck Connors, the son whose name you'll remember, Jimmy. Johnny Crawford. Johnny Crawford, who used to Johnny come Crawford. to SNL with uh, with Victoria. Yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul. <laughs> how, how come how come I sound like Donna Shaw? Paul, <laughs> Paul, <laughs> Oh, that's what a weird uh, crossroads of the world SNL was. That Victoria would come in and go. <laughs> she was oh, I know. Johnny Crawford from people, the right we've, we've become those people. I remember some set I was on, a guy walked up and he looked fine, looked a little craggy, and and he has a British accent. And he goes, he says, uh, I'm Dave Clark from Dave Clark Five. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. What the hell? I mean, you got any uh, got any clue about Freddy from Freddy and the Dreamers? Like, <laughs> you're blowing my mind. Why well, stop there? Let's do the Freddy, okay? I'm so glad fairy customers. Sorry, I'm doing Gary and the Pacemaker, isn't it? Um, we're talking to the uh, the great Dana Carvey and Carve. You know, some people. You've got embittered people, like you just said, and boy, it is a trap in show business. I'm not even judging those people. Maybe Mickey oh, Rooney oh. a little because he had a taste, but showbiz does set you up to be and embittered. And then you yeah. you have happy warriors who were just brilliant at it, and Regis passed. And I know, geez, who was better yeah. at TV than Regis? Maybe Carson? That's it. Well, I just look at them as different frequencies, but both hosts, and you know, one was late night, but... For a daytime host, yeah, he's he's definitely the best of all time. And he did have the thing he could talk like Carson to anybody, you know, a biker, a hundred year old woman, whatever. Are you all right, kid? You know, I mean, he had such a, <laughs> he had such a old fashioned rhythm that was so charming. How are you, kid? What are you doing? You know, like when people would come out, you'd come out on his show. And he would just say, how are you, kid? You enjoying yourself, kid? You know, and it was so heartfelt and so casual. Yes. You know, 
He didn't. He loved just no script, no thinking, no planning, just right in the moment. And he kind of invented that along with, you know, Kathy Lee. They were brilliant together. Isn't and it funny to think back that uh, this is how showbiz can mis misread the, the cards that are on the table in that Regis way back when is the Ed McMahon for Joey Bishop. And Joey yes. had a good one-liner, and that hangdog thing was funny to me to a large degree, but obviously that's inverted. You know what I mean? That, that, mm -hmm. Sometimes the ones who sneak up on you, they have that easy Dave Garraway lope where they're so watchable for decades. Regis. Yeah. Yeah, and he was on, I think, a Good Morning San Diego or something for a while. And then eventually it was, they, they syndicated it right around the time I got on SNL. You know, I didn't really realize. I remember, uh, I think I was in your office when you were pulling him together. And I can't remember, you had, you know, people always talk about golfers having swing thoughts. You know, where they, you know, keep my chin down on the ball, and blah, 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 but see the divot. Mm -hmm. uh, Carvey always had swing thoughts on his impression. And I forget what you had uh distilled Regis down to, but well, I did mix a couple with a catchphrase that he he never said, uh, which was "I'm out of control." Which, which, <laughs> when he was asked to write a book, he said to me, "You know, honest to God, kid, they wanted me to call the book uh, 'I'm Out of Control,' Regis film, and I'm out of control. I had to tell him, honest to God, I think Dan Agon, he was the one who thought of that one, but uh, <laughs> you know, that, that just felt like Regis, even though, you know, he said things like that. He would leap forward from a story, you know. The Regis uh, never gets proud the you, must be. <laughs> you must be so proud, Carvey, and uh, you're, you're the humble proud guy, so you'll never say it. But to think that Bush is known for not got da, and mm -hmm. that uh, Regis is known for... Uh, for for uh, I'm out of control one. or whatever. I'm out of control, and I think you laid something on Carson too, which uh, I'm not well, sure I he think it was almost direct. That was weird, wild stuff. I think Johnny would say <laughs> that. Is that weird? Did you did you did you see that, Ed? I did not know that. For those oh of you that are watching, you're watching a thing called television, which um, <laughs> that's where the like pencil tap came. That's where that's the double what, pencil tap came after television. He would always keep the Midwest or, or older people who's ever watching. He would make sure that everyone understood things. We're going to talk to a man in a minute who's um, done a lot of stuff with uh, um, cats. He's going to bring out some cats, and we're going to have some fun. We'll be right back. And then he'd start tapping the pencil. Oh, <laughs> and he would always treat Bert Mustin like he was his own great-grandfather. He'd bring the great Bert Mustin out, and he would sing his praises. Then Bert would come oh. out. He, he looked like if uh, Jimmy Stewart had lived to be 100. And I always – Carson was beautiful because if you were an asshole, man, he would take you out. I can't say Johnny was a completely benevolent spirit. If he sensed hubris, you were fucking dead to him. But if you were a kind man who did the right thing or woman, mm -hmm. uh, boy, did he bring you out like you were the center of the universe. It was beautiful to watch. Man, did he have chops, huh? Yeah. And I think for me, you know, and I, I think about it, anybody in the public eye or politicians, you know, a voice a voice is really a big deal and johnny mm -hmm. had just a very incredibly listenable voice deceptively deep you know kind of down here like this but also had the <laughs> other part to it, it made kind of kind of drew you in 
I mean, it was a great, great voice. So yeah. And when you mix them, uh, Jesus, we'll talk about casting. Yeah, I, I, I was talking to Alan's Webell on an earlier podcast, Dana, and it gets mm-hmm. back to Lord. When you think about Lord coming in and piecing one of your best impressions ever, and gosh, they're all great. So it's hard to pick a pick one that's not a winner there. But then Phil just kills. Uh, the, Kills Ed McMahon. When I think about oh, SNL, yeah. when I'm an old man and I'm in my 80s, God, knock on wood, hope God willing, and I think back on SNL, there'll be a few things that resonate in my head, and one of them will be you and Phil dovetailing just right off each other's wings like the Blue Angels, two geniuses who really were selfless about working in tandem. It, it was exhilarating, Carved Along. I, I would say, yeah, and it, when people have asked me, I that does pop into my head as maybe my favorite thing you know oh it does carve i didn't know that well the reason was is because i when i was doing it i was five six years in so i was more relaxed and i didn't have to be the driving force you know aggressive johnny could just lay back and i didn't i i knew it was so funny that i wasn't chasing laughs at all but i i couldn't have done it the first year but really? by that sixth, seventh year, it was just so relaxed, and I didn't, uh, and I just looking <laughs> over it, I just felt like I was Johnny, you know, and I wasn't pushing it all. So it was very enjoyable, and the people who I was happened to have really special moments with, that was one really big, cool thing that Phil and I got. Yeah, with Phil, yeah. yeah. And you know like, what, Carve? It's hard for me to imagine. It must be that old showbiz axiom where they say, until you're an expert pretender one because i always thought of you as a gunslinger like so nerveless so you're telling me the first couple years that uh because you were like a killer uh i thought this guy is indomitable we used to joke about when you'd bring grumpy old man up to the desk and i would say to you right in the commercial break this is shit you have nothing here and you can watch me destroy this and i thought this guy is fucking an animal he's bulletproof you're telling me you were spilkus before well i mean i think that the confident the audience discovers you and um the same thing happened with bill Hader and fred armerson i was asking them about they go the last year they were just the audience discovers you you get more relaxed because the whole thing is designed to make you not relax because you're running around putting costumes on mm-hmm. it's it but i did I, I could find a tape when the first season I was lucky to get the church lady because I was that character was OK being nervous with because she was so intense. Right. But right. I there's a tape where my hand goes up and you can see it's wet with sweat. So you did have to control it, I think. And then you find your first two years. It was just like uh, harder. You know what? To con- I had a beautiful moment carve where. Um, honest to God, and I had it prior to SNL on a Letterman where I was backstage and Biff's there and I'm thinking, Christ, every negative voice in my head's coming in like it always does. And I had this beautiful champion voice ride in like Clayton Moore and the Lone Ranger or something through the Ohio Silver where I heard it say, hey, shut the fuck up. I am so sick of spending every waking moment being afraid and thinking I'm this and I'm that. I'm going to go kill this motherfucker. And I went out and I did a nice Letterman. And I remember taking that swing thought over to SNL where I thought, oh, for Christ's sake, you're going to tell me you ate shit all these years and you were in bad clubs and you were, you know, you had four bucks to your name and you had to use the free <laughs> burger at the club and all that. And now we're in Chevy Chase's seat and you're not going to you're not going to go for this. You're going to sit here and be intimidated. And I said, do it after, you know, be a pussy after. Let's go kill this. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it, thank God it arrived, man. It was like the, the cavalry. And uh, what is the word? Cavalry or cavalry? I always mix that up. Uh, cavalry well, in the Western. 
Yeah, there's nothing like that that first big laugh. Uh, you know, that no matter where you're at or what's going on as a comedian, that first big laugh just then it then it's like a killer instinct clicks in, I think. But yeah, I used to cuz I respected Letterman so much. A couple times I was in the wings and the band and Dave's over there and everything. I remember saying to myself, "Don't give this show too much respect." You know, mm-hmm. treat it like AM Bakersfield. <laughs> just to try to loosen yourself yeah. up. You can't, you know, don't sit back and don't don't be afraid. But that's the the mind games you play as a comedian, the live wire act of it. But being confident and doing comedy is really, really fun because then all the energy goes to being funny. Yeah. You know? And but you've got a throttle that defeatist side. Uh, honest to God, I got it just cropped up at the wrong moment when Biff was saying, what you coming off? Or I got, I don't know. And, you know, you're doing all that. You're just nervous to begin with. You got enough air traffic control shit going on in your head. And here comes a uh, Dr. Doom voice. And I just said, Christ, I can't do this anymore. I've worked too hard. And it allowed me enough big to conquer it. And thank God it comes because, folks, if you're out there in a bluff, uh, completely, you'll never last. At some point, you got to say, do it or don't do it, but don't go out and paw the ground with your feet and try to avert people's gazes. You're the one who chose to get in an elevated position with an amplified sound system and take them through an hour. You better fucking inhabit this. And <laughs> that's a key moment. I had, you know, three older brothers. I was bullied. I was tiny. You know, when I got into comedy, you know, I took all that chip on my shoulder, um, albeit being a nice person as my public persona. But I remember once playing a club and there was kind of these alpha male comics, you know, these big guys. They try to be funny by just being loud and stuff. And they were kind of giving me shit in the dressing room a little bit, kind of laughing. You know, I had a little page boy haircut. I get it. I look 12 years old. But then I thought to myself, okay, I'm going to, my phrase is levitate the room. So I did levitate the room. And then when I caught, I saw the the bully alpha male comic, I went by and his eyes got real big and I saw the fear. And that, that, that completed that whole. (laughs) That's why Leno bought cars because the football players wouldn't talk to him. So he got into the bib overalls and started working like a grease monkey. And then he owned all the cars. Then all of a sudden he's calling you in and then Lawrence of Arabia died on that. Now Vincent by, you know, and you're thinking this is Jay's revenge on the, uh, on the jocks who thought he was the oddball. We all have that, but you and I always talk about it, that these, uh, these emotions, these competitive emotions are schadenfreude. that the word whatever shot yeah, or, or envy or all these kind of emotions you have around being in show business you know uh you just have to sort of you know kind of take them put your arm around them and go that's okay it's just reflexive i call it like a, a the doctor's hammer on your knee it just goes like that just don't not yeah. to take it seriously but you know you put 10 15 comedians in a room and Lauren Michaels is, is the overlord and, and all we have these writers and if your friend's sketch gets in, yours doesn't, it, it's, it is a madhouse. I mean, it is, yeah. it's Game of Thrones. It's so that's just organic to, to what it is. Yeah, and then it can't also- be anything else. It can't be because you're not talking about people who come in there with their the least fully packed. They've been spending too much time uh, getting mm-hmm. an alacrity with what they do to make people laugh. So no, not everybody's coming in there. You're not talking at an IBM board meeting, for Christ's sake. You're talking about Spartacus's gladiator camp with wit. It's a tough <laughs> joint. You know, get it on. And it is nice when you when Jan and Phil, God rest their soul, would come on church chat in the beginning. At, at the time, I was like, we were all in it together. And so when they were just destroying, I was really mm-hmm. enjoying that. 
So it, it can lap over. Usually you get competitive with people who you can sense are competitive with you. And when people aren't, you just kind of don't think like that. But competitions is part of life, I suppose. So yeah, I got it gets up, the, the sound in that room can get up to like uh, standing next to a jet engine. The whir is so high you can't really differentiate. <laughs> but I do remember Jan, Phil was the preachers, and you as the church lady, along with Swayze and Chris and Chip and the, you know a couple times yeah. where you just thought this is as loud as this can get, isn't it? This is so much laughter and people just dying well, at this i know and it's 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 exhilarating i i don't know if this is actually true but when i did the church lady with joe montana and walter payton um <laughs> and it was all these uh, cheap sexual innuendo but it just killed hat, you know give me the pig scan between your naughty bulbous you know all the whole thing and it's just destroying and so after the good nights i had this older gentleman come up to me and goes you know hey I, i've been working sound here for 10 years and i never see the peak that high you know that, that was how loud it got in there <laughs> i love that over the years you've heard us talk about DraftKings, the leader in daily fantasy sports the sports landscape is ever-changing and this week is no different. Luckily for all of us sports fans, DraftKings is making it easy for us to have skin in the game. DraftKings has paid out over $7 billion to users across all sports. Making a lineup on DraftKings adds excitement to every night and is simple to do. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every moment means more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Each player has a salary associated with drafting them, assemble a lineup of players while staying under the salary cap, and then sit back and watch your points pile up. DraftKings is the leader in daily fantasy sports, so there's no better place to get in on all of the action. Now that you know how to play, download the DraftKings app and sign up now using code MILLER. New users will then get a free entry with their first deposit. That's code Miller to get a free entry with your first deposit. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. I think we went out that week to that joint downtown. There was a nightclub. Remember, it was a, a, a woman with red, flaming red hair, and she had bangs. She was like Belle Watley and Gone with the Wind, and she had a club down, <laughs> downtown. And I, I remember going in, and I thought you were with me, but it was Montana and Sweetness, and we went to that club one night. Mm -hmm. We had wrapped around two at night after, and uh, oh, my yeah. God. It was oh. unbelievable experientially yeah in new york city at that time this is the me being from california the places you'd walk into and there'd be three chinese guys in tuxedos the best jazz trio you've ever heard and they're just like near the door <laughs> as you walk by the bar <laughs> and you go downstairs to the inner sanctum and it's just i don't know it, everything was so over yeah the top. so weird me too. Yeah. Square kid from Pittsburgh, and all of a sudden you're getting a glimpse of the belly of the beast. We're talking to the great Dana Carvey, and Carve, um, I, I think I read it in the paper last week, or that's the only reason I remember it, but uh, it, it, Robin would have been 69. Uh, and, all, and you talk about going outside and weeping after seeing Shawshank at the Cinerama Dome. I still tear up when I think about... Uh, what a sweet you know listen people always do this shit about robin 
being a Joe Hoover and all that. And I don't remember any of that. Uh, I, I remember being a child when he'd get caught with his finger in the cooking jar. But I just remember a bit of a wave. He was so sweet. And it killed me when he was, he was Mork. He had just been Mork and he was vulnerable. I wanted to say to him, for Christ's sake, Robert. This is when I first met him ages ago. Oh, yeah. I said, you're, you're just you're the biggest thing in the world. But if you didn't laugh at a joke, he said, something wrong, boss. Oh, I know. I, I, it was hard for me to conceive of how sensitive he was about that. I just, when he, in his later years up in Marin County, where I was living at the same time, and we were going to this comedy club together and stuff, it was just, uh, it was interesting just to see how shy he was. And, and then he would go on stage and just, you know, destroy, dominate. And I felt like for me, you know, you try to understand charisma or in, usually it's, or sometimes it's these two competing forces and not to, it's a clumsy comparison, but like Elvis Presley with his shyness and confidence working together. Yeah. And I think Robin had a measure of that. He was so shy and sweet, but he was just powerful on stage, you know, and that, yeah, you you'd could... see him, you'd see him coil up folks notice in Robin's body language. He'll oftentimes take a step back when he's loading it up. And then mm -hmm. stride forward. Think of it as in the Shakespeare thing. Oh, but mm -hmm. he'll always take a step back, gather. And I think that's the kid alone in the attic playing with the toy soldiers. And then step forward and just hit the fuck out of the ball. It's like a happy Gilmore golf swing. I saw him at the other cafe one night. You remember that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the long window. He oh. went off, Dana. It was so brilliant what he did. And you have this too where you, you understand how it sounds. It's almost like uh, Charlie Brown's parents at the mm -hmm. or something where they know the rhythms will get a laugh at some point. He would yeah. do his act and then somehow he, had, he was ad-libbing and somebody had mentioned Larry King to him and he was dripping in just like when you go to a paint store and they get the perfect shade and they spin that paint into the, they spin it in just the right amount. <laughs> he would he would tell the joke, tell a second joke, and then take a pause if that joke didn't work as well. And he'd go, "We have Ed in Eau Claire. Ed, go ahead. What's your question? You know." And he'd yeah. pick an eclectic name in a weird city and go ahead, caller. And oh, right. it was so beautiful to watch. Well, Prime Minister Botha, why could I see telephone? <laughs> that was another one. Oh, it's a crazy night. Oh, oh, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Be one in the middle. Don't be afraid. Take a sip of water. Oh, we're doing it now. Oh, look at you. Look at me. Oh, I feel like George Jessel in the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that was his well or so I go. You know, people gather themselves in a certain way. Robin only needed a second to find it. But uh, he it, it, that all that sinew in the middle gave him that second. And I've, I, I tell you what, as great as Robin was, one of the best times I've ever seen him, you, you remember, everywhere, mm -hmm. I hope you were in yeah. the room when he and Overton would go up. I mean, yeah. Jesus. God. Yeah, right now, right now there's a man going, and that was always, uh, which a lot of comedians use, but he could brilliantly find, right now there's a man going, right now there's a man going, and I was on stage with the ones at the Cops Pub in San Francisco, and he's just going crazy, and I'm just trying to keep up with him, and a man's going like this, and a man going like that, and at one point he goes, Right now, there's a man going, woo, and it got a laugh. <laughs> man going, woo. Right now, because they were still it was a residual payoff for the last joke that landed. I mean, he just knew how yeah. to keep it going and connect it. Yeah, that was his brilliance. He would ride the wave. He would never he would just it would go and go and just to, to exhaustion. Yeah, never stop. <laughs> Love him. Um, you, know, you know what, Carve, when you think back on San Francisco, and 
I don't even go there now. Quite frankly, I performed there once, and I was frightened. And people are going to say, don't be. But say, I, I'm not talking about frightened. I'm just frightened talking about when I'm on stage, not getting hurt, but thinking these people don't like me. There's a r- rhythm in this city, and I'm antithetical to it. So I haven't mm-hmm. performed there in ages. I haven't gone up because, you know, I don't want to do the slip and slide with the human fecal matter. But uh, at San Francisco <laughs> in its heyday, you could go up there and do a world tour in a night. It was the grooviest mm-hmm. place to play. You'd go from the other, and you'd go to the comedy club Cobb. down in the marina, it seems to me, and Cobbs, and then yeah. there was uh, the the Fine. Holy was City the... was the one where it was like a firing yeah. squad. For, uh, you yeah. couldn't go into the Holy City unless you had your game together because you, in essence, were a soda jerk behind a soda fountain around 10 hipsters and they were six inches away from you and you had to kill it. And that's where Robin would go in and work the speed bag. Wow. Oh yeah. That was like a maybe 30 seater and there was a long bar. Yeah. I used to play there a lot. Yeah. That was good. Low ceilings. But Robin for me was always, he was mythical because he, he soon after I started doing it, I was in college, he got more and many, but he would come in and out. And I didn't really understand also just anyone's advantage of doing stand up being famous but he would go in and do two hours and levitate the room and robin's here you know it's like and so i always it did drive me a bit because i kept when i would see him i'd think to myself why i've i've got to get better (laughs) i mean i've got to get better because this isn't even close you know but it was inspiring really ultimately it drove all of us you know just to see where he would take it you know and he was always folks he was always the alpha dog and he knew that and so he would always call you boss. I noticed that he called everybody boss yeah. to let them know that he still knew his place or something. Although he didn't have to. He was obviously Robin Williams. But, he, oh, boss, don't be. Oh. He was always quasi-apologizing to me. I know, <laughs> I know. I probably told this story before, but it was just going out in San Francisco. No, it was in Marin County, Mill Valley. It was a misty night, and I'd done a set. And then suddenly, hello, and it was Robin. It was just dark. And he came over and it was just misting. And he's like, oh, I just wanted to make amends, you know, perhaps that I maybe took some something from you, you know, Mr. Happy or something. He still thinks I did Mr. Happy or he did at the time. I said, I don't remember that. But it was such a sweet, painful moment because I don't know what I was supposed to do. I Maybe I was supposed to go, thank you. But I, I just said, well, I tried to steal your whole persona. I mean, I was like, <laughs> I wasn't successful, but but that you was. You ever the, run across his kids' car? You know, I haven't. No, I'd love to talk to him. Um, you know, we we were starting to hang out a little bit before we went to L.A. for the first time because we sort of we just were both kind of shy or something. But we were becoming friends when he went to L.A. to do that show, and then you know, I never I have messages I've kept from him, but I never uh, I didn't see him after that. You know. Yeah, there there were astronauts who didn't get nosebleeds like Robin did on the fame because man, he shot off like a fucking. I think he would have been just shocked at the response, but for to his death, it, it was so huge. It, 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 you almost want him to have seen that no, because it was like I Bowie, it was like Bowie. You could tell he was in people's hard drives from a point in their life. Where they either, you know, with Bowie, it was the outlier thing. I saw a lot of people who thought they were awkward outliers who remembered Bowie saying, you know, and them thinking, oh, you can be an outlier and be in the center of it. And Robin, 
Um, in, a, in an odd way, although he was as quick as anybody, he had an everyman uh, ramble to him. It wasn't like you were watching Noel Coward and you thought, wow, who can do that? Graham Robin would kind of process in a lot of accessible jokes with some really urbane, witty things. And I think he pleased both the, uh, the intelligentsia and the uh, hoi polloi. I think they, they loved him for it because they could follow along. Yeah, and he would work all, all different, you know, high low type jokes back and forth and he mm-hmm. would uh he created the conceit, uh, you know, maybe taking it further than Jonathan Winters in a more disorganized way of a Shakespearean actor thrown out, pushed out on stage with nothing. Right. That was kind of the what what the performance art was of it, you know. And so he's like a whirling dervish and it made sort of the organized careful stand up hard to follow. You know, when he was like going all over the place, ooh, you know, put yeah. that down anyway. What are you doing? Oh, I don't really well, think, boss. <laughs> you know what? You know what, Carp? How many great comedians have you met? And I've heard it come out of Steve Martin's mouth. I've heard it come out of Marty's mouth. I think I've heard it come out of Mike Nichols' mouth that the, it's the high-low for them. So many guys like the high-low. When Steve talks about the movie, mm-hmm. the Oscar He'll talk about it in the same way he'll talk about waiting for Godot or something. But he'll talk about Stephen Boyd and the Oscar. And he always uh-huh. says, oh, well, what devastates me is either the high or the low. He's, uh, I don't get a lot of joy out of the middle. And uh, I've heard a lot of great comedians say that. Oh, uh, what you doing? How's your, hey, oh, by the way, Carp, I was the other day I interviewed a guy on Dennis Miller Plus One, which is a show I do on Aura TV and mm-hmm. RT America. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were on it. What am I telling you? Yeah. And he was a wrestler named Ms. Mazanin. I don't I don't know the guy, but uh, wrestling mm-hmm. is big. And he seemed he was a, turned out to be a genial bloke. I read his notes and he was a cross country runner. Oh, in, uh, and uh, I think that's roughly a 5K with some hills in it. And, you know, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago or a month ago, I had talked to uh, the great Alice Cooper, Vincent Foynier, who for years, I believe, held the uh, the uh, cross country record in the state of Arizona. When you're running cross country in Arizona, <laughs> really? you're running in a fucking wow. hot climate. Yeah. Also, that's Alice great. laid down a 429 mile in high school, a 429 mile. So I thought, geez, who else is uh-huh. cr- known for cross country? Because I want to ask this guy some questions about it. I Google something. It says nine celebrities, and they had a picture of you, and you were in full bore Steve Prefontaine mode, man. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I ran a 429 mile in high school as well. You're kidding me, Carl. Yeah. Oh, I was so smoking. I would have dove uh, to, to get to, yeah, I had a nose for the tape. I would have got past Cooper. <laughs> no more we Mr. Were... Nice Guy on your part. But I, I think what I'm trying to think when we're in high school, John Walker hasn't gone into the 340s yet. Where's it at? Is it Jim Jim Ryan got the Congressional Medal, by the way, a few days yeah. ago. You see that? He's, yeah, he's unbelievably dominant. Just a 351-1. With, uh, we went by at three minutes. His last lap was 51, and he was fresh. He was, you know, if he down the european circuit with night meets and stuff and african runners with him he's a 345 but the record is 343 um by is it bikale or el i don't know so ethiopian but i know it, it is fall you know it's in the hands of uh tunisians now and stuff like that or also mm-hmm. people who practice on the belt in africa but i was always surprised when johnny walker got in there for a while i think his name was john walker you remember the john walker was a big uh yeah. New Zealand runner, I believe. Oh, New Zealand. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and I think he took it into the 340s. But when you think about it, 429 for a high schooler, brother, what were your splits? Would you, would, did you go out fast or it was just no was just it wasn't even it wasn't even a good race it was whatever those are the heyday of running i was you know but it was uh it was probably like two two fourteen and then probably three twenty four and then like a sixty five something like that mm-hmm. but, um so you were telling me that jim ryan clocked the last quarter in fifty one one yeah for the his world record his second <laughs> world record yeah what? The, what the fuck? That's like Lee Evans or uh, Lee <laughs> the Evans. mighty Larry James, the mighty burner or something. In his heyday when he was 20, 1967, yeah, he just completely dominated everyone. Just a devastating kick. And was just beautiful to watch. You know, what a freak. You know. Yeah, and a good guy too, and uh, he got his uh, on medal and this, uh, some medal from Trump, and his son Ned Ryan was there, who's a good uh, a good writer and an eloquent man. Anyway, I had a different thought for you right, uh, that came to me a second past the the uh, Alice Cooper reference. But if I was going down the run, the final stretch with him, I'd get to the tape first, unless he, unless he had some satanic cane that he pushed across the. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> she walks into the locker room and I don't know her. <laughs> I know. What have you been he listening nice to, Carve? We'll wrap up with a little music. What you've been listening to? Can I tell you I have been on a full bore weird almost a uh, band thing lately i've been reading everything i can about the band i've been listening oh and, yeah uh, i didn't know if you were a big band fan i love all that music i'm just still kind of um i'm trying to learn some beetle beetle songs now you know just their chord changes mm-hmm. you know this place minor You know, they, I'm just learning that stuff. That's just fun. Pandemic stuff you do, right? Yeah. So. Uh, I heard a funny, I'll wrap with, I want to tell you a funny Neil Young story that I read in a book about the band where uh, John Simon, who produces Big Pink and the album named The Band, uh, talk about coming mm-hmm. in, airdropping in like George Martin, but he only did two, but that's the only, Stage Fright's good, and uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, live album's great, but those are the two mm-hmm. money shots for the band, and he produces them both. He's thinking of doing something, or Neil Young's thinking of doing something with him, and I know you love Neil Young, this will kill you. He yeah. goes to see Neil Young, and Neil is in full-bore artist mode. He's not doing a greatest hits night here. He's breaking out new stuff, and he's around 25 minutes in, and he hasn't played a song that isn't new yet for the first time. Somebody in the crowd screams, behind Simon screams, uh, play something we've heard before. And Neil Young <laughs> plays the last new song he had played again. <laughs> <laughs> is that so new young they say, you okay love. here i'll give you something you've heard before i played this five minutes ago and the new one he played it again i knew I someone who was neil young's neil young's accountant you know touring with him he would have all the cash and they went into like a uh a sandal store, a moccasin store. And Neil goes, I- I'd like a pair of all your moccasins. And the woman didn't recognize him and said, sir, I'm really busy, you know. So Neil left, went on the tour bus, and then the accountant bought Neil's size, I don't know what it was, of every single moccasin in the store. <laughs> Jesus. You heard it first. 
Um, <laughs> you know what, Carb? You got to go over the, the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young album with Dallas Reed or Dallas Taylor and Greg Greaves. You know that one that's in brown with them sitting sort of mm-hmm. like the band, oh, yeah. and some Matthew Brady Daguerreotype type. And you mm-hmm. always, my wife who loves Neil Young, I turned her on to that song that might as well be on Gold Rush or After the Harvest, but it's on that one, so it kind of gets lost yep. in the shuffle sometimes. But uh, Country Girl, that song that he builds to the end, Country Girl, oh, Jesus, that song is a wipeout. He's crazy, crazy brilliant, yeah. Good Lord. cross paths with him? Me and Neil? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I used to come around SNL. I mean, there was uh, Did you end up being shown the train sets, though? (laughs) <laughs> we didn't get that far. We we were supposed to hang out. Just I was I was too in awe of him, really. Yeah, you're sure. But I remember I we were having a dinner party at some restaurant, and Phil and I were there with Neil. And I said, let's make uh, let's make really laugh really hard. So we just went off every character we could, every accent. You know, <laughs> got me helpless, helpless, help. <laughs> <laughs> Was he face down in his pasta? You guys must have walked him out. Oh, yeah. He was gone physically and mentally just shy. Yeah, we we deconstructed what he thought. Yeah, it was super fun. Oh, love that story. All right, you're a genius and a better man than you are a genius. I love you. (laughs) Thanks, buddy. We'll talk talk soon. All right, Coover. Great Dana Carvey. Peace out. Uh, I can't believe he's my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I could just listen. I don't know. Can you just kind of get on and oh, yeah. listen to them all day? They're just so funny. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I see here the car right. split. Yeah, no, no. It's it's an in in studio session. So you know, obviously, I think if it was a big deal, he would have told you that. Uh, hey, I gotta go. So I was just uh, letting you know. Yeah. Well, like I said, I could talk all day, but sometimes you got to remember the other person talking can't. So there you go. Yeah, Carvey right, was so uh, funny, good? it made me forget how much I hate listening to the sound of your voice. That's how yeah, good he exactly. was. exactly. <laughs> Thank you to our friend Dana Carvey, and uh, time well spent. <laughs> Goodbye, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Dennis Miller Option, exclusively on Westwood One. Tune in to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on the Westwood One app, westwoodone.com, and on Apple Podcasts. And remember to rate, review, and share. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. <laughs>